When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Smile. Smiles for the camera, please. <laughs> you know, smile, you're on radio. <laughs> I feel like my entire week has been, you know, the Steve Carell gift from American Office. All I can do is put on, try to put on a brave face. <laughs> One of those, hasn't it, really? All right, yeah, let's go. Hello, so the longest double game week in history has finally concluded and we're back to podcast trailing in its wake. Imagine the last time we did this, we'd not heard of Sea Shanty TikTok, lads. Amazing, really. Anyway, um, I'm not sure we've ever seen a week with such contrasting fortunes. And while many bask in the glory of John Stone's brace, others slunk off in a sulk at John Stone's no-show as the harsh binaries bit. To talk about it, the band is back together, having just about survived it all. Nick, you all right? I'm all right, thank you. Yeah, I think this game week certainly was a lot of prolonged pain for us. Um, I kind of missed the days, as you said, of just getting it all over and done with between the hours of 3 and 4.30 on a Saturday. But uh, yeah, we'll get on to that in a little bit. Uh, just to remind listeners who we are. We are, of course, who got the assist. Uh, make sure to join our mini league. Uh, the code is CPSULF. We're joined, of course, by Anthony, FPL Stag. How are you? Well, thanks. Yeah, definitely one of those game weeks for all of us where, you know, at least we have a global pandemic to put things into perspective so <laughs> we can move on from it at least. But anyway, look, this part of the agenda, look, we've had multiple mini pods with very short turnarounds. So we finally got a proper pod back um, with all the accompanying sections to boot, including correspondence. So it's back with a bang as well with our first audio submission with a great poem coming from an Irishman, but who's not living in Ireland right now. Um, for this week's main discussion, we're going to be looking at effective ownership and how much we should be paying attention to both effective ownership itself and its effects, which, of course, are not the same thing. There will, of course, be listeners' questions and plans for next game week at the tail end of the pod. But before that, we have the gamer reviews and market forces. Lads? It's a bit of an interesting game review this week. I'm well aware, and congratulations at the risk of sounding like the Come Dime With Me meme. Well done if you did very, very well and got triple figure score. As you may have guessed, none of us did. <laughs> and we're fine. We're fine. We really are fine. The finest person in, on the pod is, is Nick. How did your week go? Oh, dear. Yeah. So I think I scored 81 points in the end, but I also took a minus eight. So 73 nets in total. My rank has um, fallen pretty heavily. I was about 48K, I think, before this game week. And now I'm at 120k so more than doubled not great at all had lots of problems with my team only one player scored a goal this week for me which was harry kane a single game weaker uh ruben diaz did all right in the defense picked up 18 points a couple clean sheets and an assist but apart from that really not a lot to shout about picked up a nice martinez clean sheet at least tonight but damage was already done and robo got an, um, a clean sheet as well but yeah the midfield Dreadful, Suchek blanking, Fernandez blanking, Salah blanking. Uh, Adams in 
forward line, Blanky, and also brought in De Bruyne on the hits. Obviously, he didn't play. Well, he did play in the second game. It came off in the 58th minute, so one point in that game. And also had Kurt Zuma, who did a complete no-show as well, which means I get Basuma off the bench for one point. Lucky me. So, uh, yeah. But you don't get FA Cup points with Basuma. I know, I know, I know, exactly. Uh, but we'll, we'll move on swiftly to, to Tom. I think you're up next. I don't think you did much better. No, you only got two more points than you. It's the procession of misery continues. Uh, 85 minus 8 of 77. I got no goals throughout this double game week. Zero zilch. I also had no City defenders and I also had no Antonio. I also used my triple captain on Kevin De Bruyne, who got an assist in the first game, as well as missing out on quite a few. And the second game, he did his ankle in the 57th minute, which was just fantastic. I know I, I got my COVID vaccination that day. You know, Donald Trump, it was his last day in office. And I thought, good things come in freeze. I guess got three points from him because I had him to perhaps him, but it didn't quite work out. And what was really galling, okay, it's one of those things where you're kind of like, uh, because I had so much time to tinker for the double game week, I kind of got trapped into, I could have had it, itis, basically, because I had two choices. Um, I removed Son, Rafinha and Alioski, and I had two possible permutations. One was one I went with, which was KDB, Dawson and Suchek, because I was just, oh, you know, I need to get West Ham in. The other iteration was KDB Stones and uh, Emil Smith-Rowe, which I'd been able to do perfectly. And uh, I kind of went for the first one. And I think I did myself out of about 25 points just through that brutal binary there of just going for option A over option B. It's just one of those things, really. But yeah, really annoying. I can't remember a double game week where I've had no goals. The likes of Vardy not doing anything. Uh, Suchek deciding to actually be a defensive midfielder for once. Fernandez, Salah, all these players just blanking. It was a yeah, it was quite a difficult week as well because it was so long, like waiting for the red arrow just to kind of be locked in. But there we go. As Nick said, we move, which I think is just one of those horrible phrases people say when they're a little bit upset and want to pretend they're fine. Anthony, and um, yeah, some people say sat off as well. <laughs> Cut that out. <laughs> um, no, moving on to me, I guess a ray of sunshine here with uh, 98 points minus four, so 94 in total. Uh, that's actually enough for the smallest of small green arrows. That's the second week in a row that I've gone up about 10k, so 277k to 269k. Um, effectively, I think most of my team performed as I would have hoped, only that I had Cancelo, not Stones, and I had Watkins, not Antonio. So there's the guts of a 30-point swing there between those two choices, which, of course, look, you, you make these choices. Cancelo was something that I was someone who I've had on my side for a while. The side grade was never on, and I knew that there was a day that Cancelo would get benched. Unfortunately, it came in the double game week. Uh, Watkins, on the other hand, that was a decision I made just before this game week, um, trying to figure out who to bring in for DCL. I didn't trust Antonio to play both games as he did. Simple as. So I brought in Watkins, who had slightly better fixtures going forward and looks like he'll have double game weeks uh, kind of coming down the line. Didn't quite work out as well this double game week, but I'm still quite happy with him for the longer run. So it's okay. Martinez, clean sheet. Cancelo, one clean sheet. Diaz, obviously, with a pretty decent haul. Dallas, I put into my team instead of Saka. There was a few points lost there along the way, but whatever, that was you know the decision I made and I'm happy with it uh, overall. And by the fact, it didn't work. Soufal, 12. I had to bring a captain. Didn't triple captain. I didn't uh, change my mind from the last pod. So that was fine. 16 points there. Salah, Fernandez, Suchek, Watkins with only one goal. Um, Kane with only one goal as well. So look, it's it was a fine week. It could have been a very bad week, as uh, my co-host can attest to. It could have been a fantastic week, and like you know, you could have had 40, 50, 60 points more than this. But overall, I think I'm quite happy to have escaped this whole entire 
you know, double blank game week, double game week zone without having used any hits and only taken green arrows from it uh, in spite of the fact that they were tiny ones. So I, I think I can be pretty happy with that overall and well set for the, the rest of the second half of the season. Hashtag points. That's what I've got to say to that. Right. I didn't say my rank, by the way, and that's because I haven't looked and I won't be looking at the next week. <laughs> Sorry, right. I, can't, I can't read seven figures. I'm sure. I think, I think it is still six. <laughs> I'm joking. I, I, I haven't checked. I, have, I didn't <laughs> want to look. Right. Let's move on swiftly uh, to the market forces uh, with Kevin De Bruyne, Jamie Vardy, both notably um, injured since the midweek action. Uh, what's been going on, Nick? Yeah, it's, it's been pretty busy actually in the market um, in the wake of the double game week. And I think many managers are, are not really waiting around. They're just cracking on with their moves. And obviously there's been a few injuries as well, which has spurred the market on. I guess starting with um, who's been sold, it's obviously De Bruyne and, and Vardy both being sold heavily because of injuries. So 550,000 transfers out for De Bruyne and 350,000 transfers out for Vardy. Um, also the likes of Calvert-Lewin being quite heavily sold with 320,000 transfers out. I believe he might be coming back into fitness now um, and Zuma didn't play of course so he's been heavily sold 220,000 transfers out and Salah as well being quite heavily sold 160,000 transfers out for him um, having blanked now in five games in a row last scoring in that game week I didn't own him where he got 16 points in 33 minutes um, but I'm not bitter about that at all uh, the players being brought in of course it's John Stones that 27 points ridiculous um, return for the double game weaker I think he was going to be heavily bought in anyway this week just because of City's fixtures but 400,000 transfers in for him now at the time of recording which is um, pretty ridiculous uh, like Madison actually is quite interesting one he's the second most transferred in player right now with 295,000 transfers in um, three goals in three games for him um, Antonio, another double game week hero. There, he's got uh, obviously scored two goals. He's third on the list, and and it's uh, it's Kane and also Gundogan, um, the cut price KDB replacement, who's six point four million cheaper, um, and scored forty one goals in the last four game weeks. Um, has had two hundred thousand new transfers in for him as well. Yeah, to be honest, I think what you're seeing is just an awful lot of people reacting to the double game week and reacting to injuries. It was um, they're they're fairly sensical transfers, I guess, from that perspective. I think the increased activity like these numbers of transfers in and transfers out are much higher than we'd usually see when we're doing market forces but I think that just kind of tells you how long the game week has been and a lot of people would have made their transfers as they usually do habitually on a Thursday or Friday and we've just kind of seen those already washed through a little earlier than we usually would ahead of a game week. Yeah, I was surprised to see the rises and falls already happening with FA Cup action to come. But I mean, as you said, it's habitual, isn't it? And people are, managers are creatures of habit. All right, let's move on um, and move on to the main topic this week, which is about effective ownership. Um, so as I mentioned earlier, things went from excitement to bore off from us. And a lot of that was rooted in effective ownership, which wouldn't take advantage of having time to do a proper pods to chat about today and answer, you know, what do we think of effective ownership in FPL? This game week was a really kind of harsh binary, wasn't it? For us, I didn't, we didn't have stones, that's for sure. Maybe I didn't have any city defence myself. No, I think you had Diaz and Nick did, had some coverage there. Didn't have Antonio. And it kind of reminded me as well of the Project Restart as well. And there are a few game weeks where if you didn't have Antonio, you didn't have Sterling. Well, you didn't get Green Arrow, you, you were absolutely screwed. 
so what is effective ownership uh, one of those things that you do here kind of floating around i'll do my best to define it here hopefully i can kind of make it um, as simple as possible uh, but effective ownership are points you gain or lose against the average this can be versus the overall game as an average in your kind of local rank area as being a defined sample uh, or another defined sample for example the top 10k this can also be over 100 percent. so effective ownership can be over 100 percent factoring in captains and triple captains which of course doubles or triples um the amount of people who effectively own a player and um, this comes live during a game week it's not live it's only projected pre game week so you get the base ownership stats uh, then that kind of, kind of kicks in once the deadline goes you find mistakes from things like live rank and fantasy fix simply put it shows which players and teams will make the most impact towards you getting green arrow if you own them and conversely of course which are more likely to lead to a red arrow if you don't own them they do something how this works out is pretty simple. So here's a good works example. Stones, um, my Bet Noir this week is owned by 14% of people overall. But Stones this week, just gone in the double game, it was owned by 23.84% of people active in my rank tier. So that becomes kind of our sample. He scored 27 points, which is 6.4 points against me. Why is that 6.4? Well, if literally everyone around me had Stones at my rank and I didn't, i.e. 100% effective ownership against me, I'd be 27 points down to everyone around me. But as it was, he was owned by 23.84% and 100% of FPL Twitter, of course. That works out at 27 times 0.384 equals 6.4 points. Okay, so that's kind of how my rank got sailed there. So with the concepts in mind, how is it helpful to FPL managers and how might it be a hindrance to FPL managers, I guess is what we're going to talk about. Uh, let's talk about the positive upside first. Uh, Anthony, tactical application, risk calculation. How do you think uh, effective rank and uh, impact managers positively? So yeah, from the upside perspective, I think primarily with your tactical approach, you should probably be led by your underlying stats, your eye test, the old reliables. But it is still important to know the inevitable downside of any moves you make and knowing that downside to turn it into a positive and make more educated transfers as a consequence. So you can look at, for example, you know, consider it the opportunity cost, the player that you don't pick up. Deciding who that player is that you buy and who the player is that you didn't buy can be aided by looking at effective ownership and understanding who's going to hurt you more. For example, right now, if you were looking at buying a Manchester City defender because uh, Stones is already quite popular and of course as we just said in market forces he's being bought in in on mass you, you know that the opportunity cost of not going with Stones instead of going with the likes of Diaz it could be quite high and I think that's kind of something that you need to keep in mind no matter what and so tactically that's where effective ownership I think from a transfer perspective and with captaincy can come particularly in handy. I do find it very useful and I think when you're kind of assessing the danger points both inside and, and outside of your team so you can look at it um, as positive light for instance you know the likes of later as we've talked about previously on the pod famous upside chaser um, targeting some of those um, low-owned players like Martial to try and gain an added edge against um, their rivals just because of low effective ownership. And you can talk about other players, for instance, um, you know, likes of Mares, who might have a particularly low ownership if you're looking for a specific differential any week, as opposed to sort of following the, the masses, I suppose, with, uh, you know, targeting likes of Stones. Both your points are really good there. Like Anthony, covering transfers primarily, you know, you said you consider the players you buy, you didn't buy, and you kind of make that judgment, don't you, of who's going to hurt you more. I uh, like we said there, Nick, about giving you a bit of an added edge to the understanding of what's going on. I think captain particularly is where effective ownership really crystallizes because you're able to kind of see 
if my captain bangs this week, I'm going to make one hell of a gain. Or on the other side of it, if my captain bans this week, I'm going to be in the same boat as everybody else. And you can therefore kind of assess, um, as Anthony said, the risk reward, the opportunity cost of going with that out there punt uh, versus going for the kind of the herd pick, I suppose. Away from the individual, there are other ways of looking at um, this too, because there are, for example, in defence, cases for saying, you know, you should probably look at that as a unit, as Adam Pritchard said in question for us. Um, so effective ownership of a defence versus single player could be quite useful. So I think in kind of this season, uh, Southampton defence, when uh, McCarthy was uh, an octopus and keeping out everything, owning him or K- KWP was a good idea. Last year, Nick Pope, um, owning him or someone like Charlie Taylor was a good idea. And this is where we kind of had that kind of old idea of compound differentials. Remember them? Um, so the idea was that if you if everyone's got one or two players and having that third player and kind of the impact of having the set, therefore it was a thing that set you apart. So think about the old days when Lalana, Firmino and Coutinho were all plausible to own in tandem or Kane, Ali and Ericsson or maybe Rose from a, a Spurs that year. Nick, defence-wise, I mean, is it something that you look at in terms of effective ownership? I mean, James Justin this year, for example, you've not been very happy with, have you? Yeah, James Justin certainly has been pretty punishing in terms of his effective ownership just because of the sheer amount of people that own him. So, for instance, this week he scored 14 points, which was 6.44 effective points against me. In fact, it was Leicester really and West Ham that just really punished me this week. No other team really did any impact on me, on me but it was West, West Ham and Leicester. So West Ham was 12.97. And there was a gain from that Premier League team against me because I only had Suchek as my coverage. And uh, Leicester, I didn't own anyone. So they had a, they had a gain of 9.39. Um, all these managers around me getting all of those James Justin points, a few Vardy points sprinkled in there as well, um, just catching me out completely. And uh, generally this week, obviously I did pretty badly, but I think, you know, you, you raised some interesting cases. I think with Chilwell, for instance, this season, he's had such a high ownership and he's always been on my sort of threats table, so to speak. But I've never really been too concerned because I've had coverage in the Chelsea defence um, with Kurt Zuma and... Obviously, with Southampton defence as well, I had Kyle Walker-Peters. So when I saw the likes of McCarthy sitting there on the, you know, danger danger list, as we put it earlier, or the likes of Yannick Vestergaard, I, I was less concerned. But ultimately as well, when, when you're talking about the defence, you're not just talking about one player doing the damage. It could be multiple players. So this this week with West Ham, there were Fabianski owners, there were Sufau owners, you know, there was Dawson owners out there and Cresswell owners. And that really just compounded and caught me out to a certain extent. So you, you have to think about when you're covering the defence, if there's plenty of players that plenty of managers own, you're, you're really at danger. And I think you got also got quite out, didn't you, Tom, I suppose, with the City defence as well, the double clean sheet. Yeah, as a reminder of like, you know, like not only Manchester United defenders in the past. I remember when Phil Jones one year just became an absolute must stone because he just they just kept grinding out those clean sheets under Mourinho. Maybe we didn't throw in this year's key example with the defence was Chelsea, where there was a point where their defence had an effective ownership of over 100%. So basically your first Chelsea defender, the first clean sheet that you got from Chelsea was just utterly defensive. It just held your rank and you needed really that second Chelsea defender to get any gains. And that was mostly thanks to Chilwell and Zuma, as you noted, but there was... You know, obviously there were other options in that Chelsea defence too that some people went for. But yeah, as you say, Tom, the attacking side is the other side of this. And I think the best example that we've seen so far this season is Son and Kane. 
where there was a point where having both of them didn't necessarily get you a green arrow unless you'd captained one of them as well because they were both so popular they were both in so many teams that were doing well let's say in your usual rank tier for active managers and they were so commonly captained if you didn't basically get those three point streams from the two players you found that you weren't actually going anywhere so that gives you a good idea of from an attacking perspective how important they can be with elite players but they're also important when it comes to thinking about your cover picks because it comes from the perspective of assessing the value of that cover that okay you have your top player which would be for example with a Manchester United would be Bruno Fernandes but you have to assess how much value you could get from the likes of Marcus Rashford and to what extent he could cover Bruno Fernandes points if he does well and there comes a point where Bruno Fernandes, for example, is so popular, highly owned that your cover could no, is no longer a cover and is actually just a, dis- a discrete tactical choice against the popular player. And it's up for you then to you know, decide to beat him or join them on the Fernandes pick and continue perhaps with your discrete, not a cover pick anymore, Rashford. But it's effective ownership that allows you to really assess that to understand whether Rashford, Rashford is the one that's gaining you points. But if he's not gaining you points compared to the amount that uh, Bruno is continually hitting you for it's just yeah. not worth it definitely yeah exactly I was I was thinking along the same lines actually of Bruno and Rashford and we've it kind of links in I guess with with talisman theory uh, to a certain extent because Bruno is the talisman he's the one you want obviously you can try and cover Bruno with Rashford but you know Bruno's actually outscored Rashford by 47 points this season which is pretty ridiculous considering Rashford's not really having a bad season he's got seven goals and five assists to his name but still he's still being outscored by a whole 47 points and you know I've, I've made mistakes in the past a little bit as well I mean this season I, I tried to perhaps cover Salah with Jota which was working okay until he got injured but in previous seasons I've made mistakes such as trying to cover Sanchez with Ozil in the infinite infamously poor double game week for me and uh, you know so it's very you have to be very careful with these sort of things when you're covering the midfielders I think certainly with the defenders you can cover other defenders with um, because obviously the clean sheet points are all kind of shared but with the attackers and the midfielders with the element of talisman theory I think there's a little bit more risk in that kind of strategy yeah, no, certainly. Is. You're very, very right on Bruno and Rashford. And I, I love the Sanchez Ozil uh, callback there. <laughs> Mesa Ozil. Uh, Hazard Pedro as well. That was one oh, that killed me. I was on Pedro was. instead I of remember, Hazard. I remember that. That was in Hazard oh, for the hat trick, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, oh. I was in, I think I was in Greece for that. Uh, anyway, um, I think you were, and just pulling back to what you said, Anthony, a minute ago, um, I think you were right on picking up on the lads, Son and Kane, because that's, that's the biggie, isn't it, in terms of this effective ownership malarkey. They've got a huge base ownership. So Kane, 45% at the time of recording, Son, 58%. So if there's a captionable game week for Spurs, um, you're often looking at over 100% effective ownership for both players. That means you don't gain by owning, indeed only slightly gain by captioning. The whole thing reeks of you know downside protection, ask covering effectively just as a case of point for my team for example there's two times a season i've gone without spurs uh the first being the game week nine wild card and my rank did improve actually from game week nine to now when i haven't really had i had son actually uh, but i have no kane and son together uh, kane scored 62 points and son scored for 65 points the guys that i chose to bring in uh were kdb who scored 68 actually and vardy 57 now, that's a bit of a blunt way of looking at it let's have a look at one game week in particular game week 12 uh, game week I actually, I actually sold vardy on uh, so he got 12 points there so on that week spurs beat arsenal 2-0 
debut. Uh, Son scored 13 points against Arsenal and Kane scored 12. I had neither of those players. Um, so their, the effective points against me was absolutely huge. So I absolutely pummeled because the guys who were on my side effectively here uh, were Dominic Calvert-Lewin with five points and Kevin De Bruyne with three. So I lost out on 17 points there, throwing a high effects bonus for both players. And there was a 500k rank loss right there, just not having those players. So, I mean, there's an element of it being hygiene factors to own them both, unfortunately, this season. Um, they have been so consistent. There's only been 11 blanks between them this season. And that's what's kind of creating that unique sticking power with them, which pulverizes you each week if you don't own them. They do something. And I wonder whether this links nicely to the negative side, sort of the hindrance, because if you've got this sort of high effects bonus of players and it's a known thing, does it create this sort of you know, herd mentality and kind of foster the template and mean that beige play, I guess, <laughs> gets rewarded, Anthony? Yeah, I, I think it, it definitely does. And, and maybe this is a problem with using effective ownership to lead your transfer decisions is that if, if FPL was about trying to create the perfect template team, then yeah, you, you would work solely based on effective ownership. And of course, you would do quite well from that, presumably, um, if the template is going well. Um, because albeit marginally, the compound differential of having that team would uh, lead you along nicely because nobody else would have you know, necessarily the exact template team that you have as things tend to shift around. So there is, of course, an issue with leading everything with effective ownership. But at the same time, there is great value in what the likes of uh, Fancy Football Fix or Live FPL offer you, which allows you to look at ownership and especially effective ownership in order to base on your picks and it helps you to mitigate risks it's as we've noticed particularly useful for defenders who of course score as a unit as opposed to just as individuals not as useful when you've got defenders who get as much attacking returns as let's say uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold and Robbo would have got last season or Robbo continues to do this season Um, and it's also very useful of course for making transfers especially I think from a defensive perspective, i.e. To, to fortify your rank, because you know the players that are hurting you. For example, for me, it's James Justin as a player who just continues to hurt me, and it seems like I can't... I, I'm really making a bold choice to go on without him, even though I had him earlier in the season, and like many people, was afraid of Ricardo Pereira coming back. So... <sighs> This is, this is the problem with effective ownership, is that, of course, it's extremely useful and you should pay attention to it. But it's not the be-all and end-all. And FPL is still about picking up points and enjoying the game, not just maximizing yield from popular picks and reducing risk. Um, we are F- FPL managers, not actuaries. Yeah, I think the, the fact that effective ownership is so tactical and kind of fosters this gamified reading of the game makes it feel so sort of unmagical and very sort of clinical. And some people just don't like that in the same way that, you know, stats had a bit of a blowback when they first came out. You know, the famous Jeff Stelling rant again XG. I mean, there is kind of a fluffy side there as well with um, with effective ownership. So as usual this year, I'm doing badly. Sigh, little violin comes out. Um, and I found it really hard this year, particularly, like because you've got so many games to watch and you've only got 11 players playing. And I've said this before, um, but... You've only got 11 players for you and innumerable ones going against you. Watching every game, you know, or maybe loads more than normal, it really heightens those sort of sliding doors moments where your player could have got something, especially clear of KDB on the triple triple captain this weekend. Oh, I'm sorry, this week. And it deepens, at least for me, that sense of sucker punch when a player I don't own happens to return. And basically, all of this for me is fueled by my understanding of effective ownership. Like, I have 
players I know I really don't want to score, as well as players I overlooked, like Stones, as I mentioned earlier on. And you know, I wish I had the personality to watch games and kind of not think about things that way and not think about fantasy football. And some may be like, oh, shut up, you saddo, just enjoy the football. But I can't, I just can't do it anymore because I'm, you know, obviously deep into the FPL. But I, mean, I must admit this week I hit a bit of a brick wall with it and there was a bit of morbid curiosity of watching my rank fall and fall, but really didn't feel good. So I've actually removed fix from my phone and I've stopped checking live rank like during the week. It's just too much. And I might kind of stop checking Twitter a little bit as well. I've got no problem with people posting their points and stuff like that. But I mean, for me, it was just one of those things where I, especially when, Kate, when when De Bruyne went off, that was a moment where I was just like, right, you know, I've got to, I've got to think about this a little bit better. Um, obviously, that's really led to me doing poorly. Like if I was doing well, probably the polar opposite. I'd be loving looking at my live rank going up and probably be posting to Twitter as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's just an example of how perhaps Vets Friendship can have like a negative psychological effect on managers. Uh, sorry, Nick, uh, if you've been waiting patiently, what's your view on all this? Uh, I think, yeah, you... you explained it pretty well i think obviously i had a pretty shoddy game week as well and and it kind of makes you not want to go on social media when you kind of see this this slow burn of people celebrating their points over the course of the week and and that's just um that's just mainly because of the way the schedule's worked out especially this particular game week has been the sort of longest game week in history hasn't it and one of the most painful ones but i think you know so moving back i guess to sort of effective ownership and sort of as you said the reinforcement of herd behavior you know I looked at like one player for instance and this is Patrick Bamford and this is a player I haven't owned all season but every every game week I go on to live FPL and I can see that Bamford has about a 78% or 80% ownership around my rank tier and you know that that has a fear element every time I see him on the ball and he gets plenty of chances doesn't put many of them away thankfully but he does get plenty of chances and makes it sort of very scary I guess watching Leeds um, attack with him and and you know it's the whole idea of bringing in Bamford just because of fear is it's just so lame isn't it ultimately and it does make you think am I gonna if I wanted to do a transfer for instance get rid of Shea Adams finally and bring in Bamford you know am I doing it purely out of fear and the, the effective ownership or am I actually doing it because I think he's the best pick um that i can afford and you know reality is i might want to actually do something a little bit more exciting maybe like bring in um, edison cavani or something like that or lacazette or even someone like a, a cheeky punt on neil mope but it's not it's not not worth it is it because you know you've got that risk of patrick bamford getting that haul and absolutely ruining your rank and i guess that's kind of like you don't really want to play fpl with fear do you you want to play with um for fun and, and bring in random players and have a bit of a laugh but the whole concept of effective ownership kind of makes you think actually should I just do the safe thing and bring in Pat, uh, Patrick Bamford yeah it's, it's just the risk versus reward thing isn't it writ large so you know my risk is there's an opportunity in going for a down the path less trodden um, but obviously that can then bite you spectacularly brutally uh, as we've seen in kind of all sorts of seismic uh, 50-50s going wrong this season I guess that kind of brings us back to the overarching question here like what do we think about effective ownership um for me i think it's something that i completely agree with what anthony was saying right at the top about it being a really useful kind of tactical tool which helps you to understand and kind of plan your um plan your moves plan your captaincy and it's just kind of another um element of information in the arsenal of the fpl manager um but i do think that there's kind of limits with it especially if you're not doing very well if you're doing very well then it's obviously kind of one of those kind of great friends to have for me it's a bit of a false friend at the moment i just don't want to know and i want i'm kind of shunning it right now put it that way but i think that that kind of through my own personal lens and i think the effects of ownership is one of those things that i do really like it's just one of those things as well that 
from a watching football perspective, I wish I didn't know about, and I do sometimes rue the day I learned what a best friendship was. But I suspect that's going to be the, the, the answer you'd expect of me. Um, Anthony, I suspect you've got a more bullish view on it. Definitely, I think I have a much more positive view of effective ownership than uh, the two of you guys. But maybe that's just uh, the game week speaking as much as anything else. That if, At least at the end of the day, uh, because I knew that I had Watkins and Martinez to come and I was on about a grey arrow, I reckoned that my arrow was going to go green at the end of this game week, even if I just got a, um, appearance points. So I felt that a little bit better having looked at the effective ownership and knowing what was going to happen. Uh, but overall, effective ownership, I think, is extremely useful from a transfer planning and captaincy planning perspective, basically allowing me to figure out what I might miss out on if I make a certain decision. And whilst that's a very you know negativist outlook, I use it to try and propel my rank in a positive direction. And I think it's just that framing and how you use it and don't use it as a stick to beat yourself in the middle of bad game weeks. And you know that, that does mean distancing yourself from live FPL when things are going badly and trying to not be that guy who doesn't tweet when things are going badly, but inevitably doing a little bit of that along the way as well. Yeah, I think it is something that we shouldn't really let it rule our thinking, but it is ultimately an important part of the FPL game and um, your strategy. And it's something that you do have to factor in when you're making your decisions. Um, so for instance, if you're kind of in a higher rank as I was earlier on in the season, um, I often look to consolidate that position as much as possible by targeting highly owned players. If you say you're more in the sort of 600k to 1 million rank, you, you, you're not going to be bringing in the players that are highly owned ultimately because you're not going to make any gains on the guys in the top 10k if everyone owns James Justin, if everyone owns Antonio and Stones, you're going to be looking at other differentials, other picks to try and catch up or, or gain that edge. Or or if you're in the top 100k, you might be more of a late riser type character and actually say, oh, no, not good enough rank for me. I want to be in the top 100. So I'm, I'm going to be targeting those differentials again and uh, going for those players that perhaps can get you that biggest upside. So I think it is definitely an effective tool and something that um, should be considered um yeah as long as you're not kind of madly refreshing live rank and getting in some sort of like doom scrolling or <laughs> fpl for like a whole week red arrow scrolling yeah yeah all right cool good chat let's uh, take a break there and move on uh, to the correspondence and q a who got the assist who got the assist so we're back and it's time to catch up with the Who Got the Assist Mini League. As I said earlier, the code is CPSULF if you want to join. And yeah, it's, it's a lot of change actually in, in the league. Uh, the top five all having used chips, um, but four bench boosters and a triple captainer. So um, in, in fifth place, it's Gunnar Lemonman. He got 149 points this week. Ridiculous score. Um, so and he's climbed 54 places in, in the Who Got the Assist Mini League as well. So very impressive. In in fourth, we've got another riser here with, with Nicola. He he got 139 points, also bench boosted. In third, we've got Wallace Clark, um, 125 points for him, um, also bench boosted. In in second, we've got Ryan Longstaff of the Longstaff Brothers. Um, he got 157 points, which is just ridiculous score uh, having bench boosted captain sterling so a little bit of a differential captain there um as well but um number one um a familiar name david is it with Hestwam untied uh took a minus eight but got 127 points and triple captains de bruyne as well so really good score for him he's now up to overall rank 144 in the world so yeah very very impressive well done mate Oh, yeah, very well done, guys. So I'm just jealous of those monster scores, to be honest. Uh, my time will come again. My time will come again. That's why I keep telling myself. Right. Speaking of something coming again, 
It is the correspondence. Yes, the section we thought we'd seen the back of, but no, it's back. Here it is, limping into view, the wolf we can't shake from our door. Anthony, what's going on? Yeah, it's, it's one hell of a poem. <laughs> yes, indeed, Tom, we've got the correspondence section. It's finally back um, after a few weeks where we couldn't fit it in because we just wouldn't be basically doing any of the correspondence justice if we fit it into a pod that had a shelf life of the guts of 24 hours, if even that over the last while but we've really made up for it with probably the most spectacular piece of correspondence thus far if I was to say so myself if I was to dare to do so and it's come from a fellow Irishman Gavin Doyle who's actually living over in Mexico and he sent this poem to us a recording of it himself he himself narrating it um, just at the turn of the year so you'll hear he's wishing everyone a happy new year and us a happy new year in it which is very nice of him but uh, it's, it's a really fantastic piece Happy New Year Nick, Tom and Anthony or as they say in this neck of the woods, Feliz Año Nuevo. This is Gavin in Guadalajara, wishing you all the best for 2021. And inspired by last week's profundities of Kyle's dystopian epic of hirsute hipsters and gothic coffee shops opining forcefully about FPL, I've decided to put pen to paper, or in this case, fingers to touchscreen. So this is called 2020, 20 verses, 20 curses. The first question is the meter. Which one should I choose? Maybe iambic pentameter, or perhaps a haiku. Or perchance like William Shakespeare, with a sonnet that's heart-torn. But if FPL is my true love, then it is a love forlorn. With the alluring promise of fantasy, the game is now afoot. But back in harsh reality, deep digs the cut. With players benched and others sick, no fans and stadia closed. The game, it speaks of poetry, but offers me nought but prose. Prepare for the doubles, hold on to your chips, above all beware the blanks, but with each unending squad rotation, once more my overall rank, sinks like a stone, for the neath tossed waves, all the while my sub-goalie continues to make saves. O captain, my captain, wherefore art thou? Wrapped in a Covid bubble? What hope rests now? Perhaps my bench can steady the ship, and ride out the storm as my mini-leagues slip. From my hands once again since Project Restart, this game has done nothing but break my poor heart. Captain fails and Covid voids, mediocrity of the eon, as I languish somewhere just outside 2.45 million. With each Leeds goal fest, oh, had I bought into the fuss, or for each city attacker that Pep's left on the bus. I shake my fists and curse ye gods. A clean sheet would be handy. I put my faith in Cain and Son, but the halls come for Fernandez. And as for Salah, the Egyptian king, he shall crush those he opposes. Except this week he faces Red Sea United and their informed striker Moses. I take point hits and roll the dice and build team value slowly. But all the while, my best scoring man is still my alternate goalie. Is there any hope in sight? Perhaps a change of luck? But the light of tunnel's end is but a fast oncoming truck. Yet I struggle on regardless. Some arrows green, more often red. And I tune in optimistically to hear pearls of wisdom said. By Anthony, Nick and Tom, what's the latest? What have I missed? Who scored three bonus points? And who got the assist? Perhaps their inside knowledge can bring me in the know. I may not win the game at large, but perhaps just Mexico. So farewell 2020, 12 months of chaos and discord. 
at least as fantasy Bundesliga, where last week I got up to fourth. But FPL is a cruel mistress who taunts me over and again. I'd like to bid her adieu, but for now, I'll just say Auf Wiedersehen. Isn't it absolutely spectacular, lads? Like, multiple languages. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> yeah. <There you> go. <laughs> multiple languages. Um, really, really nicely knitted in uh, FPL illusions and talk. Oh, just really, really spectacular stuff. And uh, thanks so much for that. Uh, you'll find Gavin on Twitter at Gavin underscore Doyle underscore IE. And uh, he's well worth a follow, even just for his poetry, it seems. Um, that's, uh, he's really got a talent for that. Uh, so thanks so much for sending that in, Gav. If you want to have something featured on the correspondence section, you can just email us to whogottheassist at gmail.com. We'll take recordings, as you've now heard for the first time. And uh, we'll take poetry. We will take questions, whatever it is on your mind. Uh, it might be addendums to this pod. It might be questions about FPL, the meta that it is. It might be just questions about us. It's, this is a very versatile slot, so fire it in and uh, we will get to it at some point, lads. Just imagine the slot doing gymnastics. I'm not sure what the slot would like look like in one's mind's eye, but there's but something. You see, that's, that's the thing, Tom. The form. slot can look like whatever you want it to be, and that's the beauty of correspondence. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm, just, I'm actually imagining, you know, like the, G, the Gmail logo, like on a trapeze or something. <laughs> I need to stop. I need to stop taking those pills. Anyway, let's move on to the questions. Um, and the first one this week is, is a fairly obvious one. It is the aftermath of Kevin De Bruyne's uh, uh, withdrawal, unfortunately, um, in the 58th minute. Not that I'm bitter about that. It's costing me points on a triple captain. And you've got 20. Oh, and you've got, yeah, that's really good. Anyway, um, sorry, I, I digress. Um, but yeah, it's a KDB-less KDB uh, Man City this week with loads of questions on this. Uh, ben Pelling, JD Pandofini, and Triple Nutmeg asked about City players in the wake of KDB's injury. And I guess FPL tips as well. Harry puts it quite nicely. He asks, you know, is Man Man City midfield now a trap. Should we be looking elsewhere for our KDB replacement? Um, Nick, what do you reckon here? Yeah, I, I would disagree with um, calling Manchester City a, tra- a trap. I'd certainly say there are a few options out there for them. Obviously, um, we know from the past that there's a little bit of risk of rotation out there, but I certainly think there's a few assets that are worth calling out. Um, but firstly, I'd want to mention the fixtures. Um, again, West Brom, Sheffield United and Burnley up next. West Brom looking particularly right for the taking, having conceded the most goals in the league with 43, which is nine more than any other team. They've conceded the most shots as well. Um, the only team with triple figures for shots on target with 119. Um, we, do, we do know they've now got Big Sam at the helm, so he, he's obviously trying to look to shore up that defence, but still I, I can imagine a big score for City. So I think the um, the assets actually that i probably say are the best choices, at least in the midfield, are, are Gundogan and Sterling. I'm actually pretty interested in Sterling myself, um, just as a straight replacement. I've got the money, obviously, because I'm selling De Bruyne and he's around the same price. So um, I'm, I'm thinking that could be a quite a nice differential this week. Um, Gundogan, he's obviously the cheap alternative that we saw in the market forces. Um, he's had four goals in five games and it's only 5.5 million. Both of these guys were rested in the cup as well, which... Um, is a positive, I think, because probably means they're going to start in a league and, and Pep's going to be pretty peeved off with half the team that started in the cup this week. And they're probably all going to be on the naughty step as well after going one nil down against Cheltenham. So I'm, I'm probably, yeah. I'm, I know it's a risk. We've done this in the past trying to predict him, but I've, I'm feeling relatively confident that these guys are going to start. So I think that's a good shout. Um, a few, few people calling out Foden as another option. Of course, he's an option. Um, scored, But the problem is scored <laughs> against Chelsea and Brighton and then didn't play against Palace. He's only actually started four of the last 13 Premier League games. So despite the talent that he obviously is, 
I feel like with him, the risk is still a little bit high. Fair enough. I think on Sterling, I just wonder if you weren't interested in him when one of the best chance creators in the world in, F- in Kevin De Bruyne was fit, why are you suddenly interested in him when he's absent? I, I, yeah, I can see why the straight stop appeals by some sense of kind of logic, but it feels a bit of a shortcut to me. I don't know. With Kevin De Bruyne out, it makes sense to decrease investment in City's attack. We've got a question on their defence in a minute. But nonetheless, as you pointed out, Nick, you know, City got good fixtures. And in my view, uh, the gun dog is the guy there, the gun dog wagon, um, as, I, as I perhaps call that. Um, you know, decreasing my investment from 11.8 million to 5.5 million reflects the reality that this guy is not De Bruyne. But he does have the data. You know, He's got the third most shots and the second most shots in the box in the last six. And the money you free up, if you're a gargantuan amount of money you free up, uh, means that you can invest elsewhere. So maybe you'll put money into their defense, you know, upgrading your 4.0 piece of trash to Diaz. Or maybe next week you'd be looking at kind of saying, oh, you know what? Well, you know, I'm not too sure about Bamford anymore. Maybe I'll get Kane uh, for the uh, for the game against Brighton. I mean, with KDB, I know that Gundog was getting forward a little bit and he may head back a bit without Kevin De Bruyne. But he's 5.5 million and he's on penalties. And he's still playing for a team which creates a lot of chances. He's 5.5 million, I'll say that again. So we can align our expectations with that price tag. We're removing a player in Kevin De Bruyne who has underwhelmed for that price tag and getting a player at 5.5 who perhaps would meet or exceed our expectations for the amount that we're paying. It's all a bit of a pump. I'd rather not run a comparison with last season without when KDB was out for a little bit because it's a different beast and things like that. We can see how Pep sets up without his talisman, but I'm probably on the Gondo wagon. I mean, Anthony, what do you think about this? And are there any other replacements out there? Because I'm aware that we have just focused on the Man City's uh, keeping with Man City with your uh, KDB replacement. So I, I think you guys have kind of touched upon the, the two important sides of this. And one is that, okay, City are still a good team, even without Kevin De Bruyne. Um, in the last six game weeks, even though they haven't been in blistering form, they've been right up there across the league, second for goals, second for shots in the box. They've hit the post four times as well in that time. XG is second as well, but they have been quite reliant on set pieces for that XG, uh, much more reliant than the rest of the top five. And of course, Hundoan uh, has benefited from that already. And Hundoan himself is miles ahead of other fit City assets in terms of underlying data. And I think I'd agree with you, Tom, that if you were looking at a City attacking asset, I would think I would look to him, not uh, Raheem Sterling, who, as you say, hasn't been oh, like hasn't been of interest to us at his price point, considering the other elite players that there are who are just more appealing. So I guess when you're talking about then that, okay, we've looked at the City assets, Gundogan is a good replacement there in midfield, then you're talking about who would you be looking to bring in? And of course, an awful lot of people have sold Son um, with, the double game week in mind and if, okay Spurs do have Liverpool this week but then in spite of everything they do have a few good fixtures interspersed with a few more difficult ones they might have the honour of getting Frank Lampard sacked at the rate things are going um, in game week 22 at Chelsea so that isn't even a fixture to fear uh, aside from the Liverpool one and Liverpool's form isn't exactly spectacular as we've seen as well so Son I think is probably the player that we're going to see quite popular here but of course there are cheaper options too and this ties in with a question we've had from Hindu Monkey who asked us if Barnes or Madison are in our, on our minds now with Vardy ruled out. So, of course, with KDB is the, the gap in midfield that a lot of people have. And Vardy is the Leicester gap that people might be trying to fill or hoping that Barnes and Madison can fill. So it, uh, it makes sense, I guess, to be looking at these two players from two different perspectives. And I think when you look at those two players, 
Um, traditionally, I think what we would say is that Harvey Barnes is wasteful and that he gets lots of chances, um, but doesn't necessarily score them. Now, yes. interestingly, <laughs> yes, but interestingly, over the last six game weeks, he's actually overperforming his XG from open play, which is 1.72, and he's managed to get three goals. And that's from 16 shots. Mm. Now, he has played 120 minutes more, though, than James Madison in that period who has had an XG from open play of 0.67, which is a hell of a lot less than uh, Burns, but has got three goals as well from it and 12 shots. Uh, but only four of those shots came from the, in the box. So I think you can kind of see that you're looking at a very different player in terms of position as he actually shows out for Leicester, even though they're both rated as midfielders in the game. Um, so both are players that have good days and Leicester themselves are obviously doing quite well at the top of the table. And they're sixth for XG. They're the second biggest overperformers in spite of that, but they are still good assets and definitely worth thinking about, lads. Would you say so? Yeah, definitely. I think despite the fact there's fewer minutes, just boiling it down to the key kind of uh, metric, uh, Madison's only one point behind Barnes over the last six. So 34 points for Maddie, 35 for Barnes. And as you said, the data is a little bit, um, it is very similar. It's just that Madison's obviously got that creative edge. Uh, to what he does and Barnes takes a lot more shots the quality of those shots however I'd say is fairly low so while he's got the volume and um, he does not have the quality behind that volume and obviously we all remember the hat trick against Aston Villa especially you Anthony um, and but I think that that was maybe one of those weeks where everything went right for him it literally caused lockdown <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's a lot it was the, the last game wasn't it yep um but if you watch him play, like he is so, he, some, nine out of ten times, he's a complete headless chicken. Especially, you know, being a Vardy owner, watching him play, it's just been, it's, it's a terrible experience. He's always running into blind alleys. Like Vardy's run on his in space. What does Barnes do? He hits to the byline, and suddenly you know, the ball goes off, or he runs into the defender. He's I'd like it. to distance myself from this extreme language. <laughs> He is so annoying to watch like, because obviously I've, I've had Vardy all the time. So I'm looking at it through that lens. Where I'm just like, well, you could release him there. And no, no I mean, he's, he's, off he goes down the channel. Well, what are you doing, bro? Just pass it to Vardy. And you've got to, I've got a goal from my FPL team. Like, it's one of those ways that you look at it. I, I appreciate that I'm slightly overstating it. Uh, but Madison, yeah, I think that Madison would be my choice of the two um, at the risk of um, getting into the as um, camp uh, for which I'm going to need to have a shower because I'm a little bit dirty for, for embracing one of those players that he loves but uh, he's got a nice mix of the offensive and the creative sides of his game as you mentioned Anthony and I think that he might be the one that I'd like especially against Leeds and uh, so the, the idea is this week I watch him him and Barnes against Everton and the week after that Leeds game followed by the Fulham game it'll be worth having I think one of them if I can and because I, I'm selling Kevin De Bruyne and probably for Gundo I can sell Suchet for either one of them and it is quite nice to be able to have the Everton game just to size up which one I really want. But leaning Madison as being the guy. Yeah, I think a lot of your frustrations with, with Harvey Barnes are ultimately because he doesn't pass to Jamie Vardy. I think the headless um, chicken comparison is perhaps a little bit harsh. I mean, ultimately, <laughs> he, he gets a he does get a lot of goal attempts, so that, that's always a positive. And, and poor goal he, attempts. He's a, he's a selfish player, but we like selfish players. And his shot accuracy is actually pretty decent, to be honest. This season, it's 46.2%, which is higher than the likes of Bruno, Salah and Rashford. And it's only really Son that's had better shot accuracy than than Barnes um, out of the sort of top 20 uh, midfielders for goal attempts. So I wouldn't really... A restrained sharpshooter or headless chicken. That's uh, what you've got. A restrained headless chicken. His shots... um, (laughs) (laughs) You can't say that all his shots are 
high and wild in the same I way did, that I didn't say that. From, I didn't say that. I said that he should pass it to Jamie Vardy. I didn't say well, it was he doesn't. And wild. He doesn't pass it. But, you know, we do like selfish players in, in FPL a little bit. We like the likes of Madison <laughs> who would never pass. So it's, it's not a concern. I think Madison is an interesting one. He's done pretty well in the last few games. What I did notice, though, is just his decline, really, in the past few seasons. So this season, he's only created 32 chances, which ranks him 10th out of all midfielders um, in 19 games, um, which is an easy sum to do by looking at the last couple of seasons. So last season, he was fourth for chances created with 78. And the year before that which is his first, first in the Premier it? League, his first with, with 99 chances created. So he's he's declining in terms of what his output is. We used to compare him as, or used to say he was better than Jack Grealish because he was putting in the performances. Now it seems like a completely ridiculous and daft thing to say that we everyone regrets. <laughs> and it's also the same actually with goal attempts. So 83 goal attempts in his first season, 74 in the second, and, and now 33 this campaign, which will be 66 um, multiplied by two. So... Um, that's a little bit of concern, I guess, with Jack, and uh, not Jack Ridge, sorry, with uh, James Madison, though, of course, we're always looking at the, the nearest of futures. In the last three games, he's, he's scored in every single game, so perhaps he's turning a corner again with his form. See, the, the thing with Maddie, sorry, Tom, to go one more time on him. Um, sorry, the thing with Maddie, and I think if you were listening to his post-match press or post-patch interview that he did uh, the other day, he was talking about himself, how he's playing kind of as a six, so effectively a defensive midfielder. And then he's trying to add more goals to his game by kind of breaking into the box late and inevitably taking long shots as well. Um, but he's certainly not going to be a player that you're going to find getting tap-ins at all frequently. Um, but he is, of course, on the odds at piece. So that's what makes Madison interesting. And I guess what you're doing with him is backing quality if you decide to bring him into your team. He's, his chance production has fallen. Like you you noted his you know, season-long stats. And of course, he has missed he missed quite a lot of minutes at the start of the season, though he was like in and around the squad. Um, so if you even look in the last four game weeks in terms of chances created, he's absolutely nowhere near the high rank. There, he's uh, extremely far down, so far down that I might get arthritis in my finger trying to scroll down the list to see how far down he is. So, you kind of give you an idea of just you know he's a very different player to what we came to know in the league. Probably much more quality over quantity, whereas he used to be Mister Quantity in terms of shots and creativity. Yeah, no, indeed. I just feel like I should insert a small disclaimer here, but I could well end up with Barnes and completely deny this. This this character assassination that I embarked on Everton place. Just pulling back all the way to the initial question a long time ago, it feels like now, um, on the KDB replacements. There's one guy we should probably mention as well, which is Marcus Rashford. So I'm assuming most people have Bruno Fernandes. I'm assuming that in terms of, you know, buying Liverpool players, if you if if you're interested in Salah or Mane of the last few weeks, mm, who knows? Um, if you're interested in a player like Grealish, I'm assuming that those kind of moves do look like they're pretty obvious so we're kind of going for the sort of person who's got those players what do I do next um a player worth mentioning is Marcus Rashford um just because maybe doubling up with him um and Bruno might be a good idea for the next little run for United which is actually not too bad at all um I had looked at it earlier on and I was surprised that it's kind of flown under the radar a little bit a Sheffield United at home I'm assuming that'll be a massive Bruno captaincy so again that compound differential idea having him and Rashford might be really useful for that the bottom it may also um, be just follow- to go into a compound differential it might be the only way to get a green arrow from that game specifically is to have more than one United yeah. asset because Bruno is going to be so captained even if you captain him you won't get a huge amount of gain from from 
yeah, you're just covering your ass, aren't you? Um, but Sheffield United, Arsenal away, Southampton, Everton at home, so two home games in a row, West Brom away, and then Newcastle at home, 20 to 25. That's six good games in a row uh, for Marcus Rashford, who, uh, for all, the, to all intents and purposes, has just been always the bridesmaid, never the bride, all the way back into Project Restart. Like Martial and Bruno have both kind of taken, uh, in Restart, obviously, Martial and Bruno have just taken all of the love. And poor old Dr. Marcus has just been on the, uh, left by the wayside, hasn't he? Over the last six, um, he's been all right. He's, he's done okay. So, for example, compared to Madison, his XG is you know two um, over the last six compared to Madison's 0.22. He's had more shots in the box than Madison, same amount as uh, Harvey Barnes did, same amount of shots, actually. He's had far more touches in the box as well. Like, and he does uh, at times interplay with Martial, so him and Martial's opposition. And you have uh, Rashford being a number nine. Of course, he's now a midfielder, um, whereas last year he was a striker. And he's one of those players as well whose ownership is actually very, very low because of the constant disappointment, because of the fact that he's kind of failed to uh, really fire the imagination in people looking for this sort of player, um, down to 30.1% ownership now. Um, and I think that he could be one of those players who, are, who, who, if you are looking to climb, has the fixtures and has kind of the ability um, to kick into that level of form. As we saw last year, uh, I think when Nick, you owned him actually, um, but he could be one of those players who, if you are looking for those sort of um, you know, climate differentials, um, might be worth looking at. Uh, Nick, what do you reckon about your, your old mate Rashford? Would you be looking at getting him in? Yeah, I'd strongly um, consider him as an option. I think he certainly, as you mentioned, Manchester United have some great fixtures as well. And he, he's certainly one of the sort of the top performing midfielders in the game at the moment. I think there's a, there's a few options out there. I think personally, I'm, I'm probably fancying the Raheem Sterling punt as much as uh, it was derided earlier as a poor choice with De Bruyne being out of the game. I just fancy him as a, a really decent differential um, for this uh, for this game week. His ownership as well is, is particularly low as well, 6.3%. So if he returns, it will be uh, that is low. A, big, a big win for me. So I'm, I'm fancying him over the Rashford punt, but I think Rashford certainly won that should be on many managers' radar uh, for this game week. Um, you know, it's a, it's a plum home fixture ultimately, isn't it? Manchester United against bottom of the league. So uh, certainly one that, you know, I wouldn't frown against managers bringing in. Cool. I think we've done that to death and hopefully that's quite a lot of good midfield uh, KDB replacements for you. Uh, let's move on to the next thing, which I think we're all sort of cagedly trying to uh, avoid uh, which is where that money may go so if you're replacing Kevin De Bruyne with anybody basically apart from Salah or Bruno you suddenly got loads of money if you didn't own this defender you own one um, maybe you'd be looking at moving your way your resources back into that defence and General Zod actually asked a very good question about this he asked you know is defensive differentiation the way to go now because people are looking at such similar sort of template attacks obviously with Kevin De Bruyne out, there are a few options kind of showing up, uh, but eyes really are turning to Man City's backline. Uh, FPL Dougal, for example, asks, is triple up the way to go? Our friend Mitchell Sterling you know, had that triple up this week and really reaped the dividends of that. I mean, it's absolutely huge, isn't it? Like some defences, this double game really carry people. I mean, obviously, I, I'm not sure John Stone is going to score a brace again anytime soon. Uh, well, I don't own him now, so I hope he does, um, but I'm not sure it's going to happen. But what really, you know, 
surprises me about all of this is that looking at the ownership of Man City defense, it is still really low. Like I, I'm, I'm, I'm shocked, flabbergasted by that. None of them, I don't think, are about twenty percent. Is easy points, and I really wish I did it. And uh, yeah, obviously hindsight is a beautiful thing and makes you look very, very stupid. And my God, looking at those numbers, I feel very stupid now. Yeah, it's actually interesting, Tom. You've picked up on the same detail I did. And, you know, we're being asked here about double ups and triple ups. And that's definitely people who are looking at the city defence through the lens of uh, FPL Twitter and people posting pictures of John Stones and other city defenders this week um, on their timeline. Uh, even in my uh, rank tier, you're looking at uh, 30%, 30.7% is the most owned of those players. And that's uh, Stones. Uh, Cancelo and Diaz are about 26, 25% each as well. And uh, Ederson actually has a uh, fairly decent ownership as well, kind of double figures. So, they're both all in they're all interesting ones and i think when it comes to city we talked about hundawan earlier i think that you, really one of the questions you need to ask yourself is do you think that your third city defender or ederson would outscore gundawan over the next few weeks and even if you think about the last six stones 49 hundawan has 44 ds 42 and then you've ederson and cancelo both on 31 points so you know there's a bit of a there is obviously a bit of a difference there i think ederson you know that you're not going to get any bonus points from him and not many save points but there is the consistent clean sheets if you believe in those whereas cancelo you've got the uh, rotation risk uh, rest in peace me in the uh, double game week so that's kind of what you need to consider i think you should be looking at the double up i think you should probably be considering the triple up with that basic <laughs> do you want one to one or do you want uh, Kinsello Stones uh, Ederson pick name that's appropriate for your team yeah I think with Ederson you've got the Martinez factor the monster that is Nick Pope and I think obviously it's, it's hard to move the goalkeeper around unless you're wild carding but no I absolutely agree it is pretty much a straight shooter isn't it because the prices are in a similar locale as well in terms of um, you know your Cancelo or your Diaz um, to your your window wagon you're going to probably have to go all the way up to you know Foden or something and you know, do you really want to do that we didn't mention Bernardo Silva for example earlier on he could be another player um, who does come through I mean, really, that kind of Stones Diaz sort of uh, duopoly is probably going to be one of those things that does uh, persist for a while Nick what do you reckon here I mean defense in general is that the way to differentiate at the moment do you see the big at the back your kind of signature move coming back do you I reckon mean, yeah it might do to be honest especially if you're talking about people moving money from De Bruyne to Gundogan and you've got extra six million to to play with why not kind of go with four um you know expensive center backs and actually to be honest, this this game week, it was all about the defenders, the midfielders and the attackers, apart from perhaps Antonio, did absolutely nothing. The teams um, with the huge scores had the likes of Stones, um, the likes of Diaz and, and Soufal and James Justin, which is these kind of monster scores. And, you know, if you went five at the back, you would have probably smashed it. So, um, yeah, I think there is a case potentially for expensive defenders. Obviously, the Manchester City ones, I'm, I'm looking at Stones. I was, I was looking at him anyway uh, before his brace, unfortunately, but um, I've got Kurt Zuma to get rid of, so it's quite an easy move for me, that one. So that's definitely something I'm considering there. Obviously, I think um, it's worth highlighting the Manchester United defence as well. Uh, plenty of options there, um, but, you know, Sheffield United at home up next, that's probably going to be a clean sheet guaranteed isn't it and after that it's, it's quite a nice run as you said Arsenal potential clean sheet Southampton potential clean sheet they've got games against West Brom and Newcastle as well so you can keep them for quite a while someone like Maguire and and he might get a goal that's not labelled a, a foul at some point as well so uh, yeah I think I think United defenders potentially could be part of a big big at the back um, 
element. I think the other team actually I wanted to talk about quickly was Aston Villa. I know a lot of us own Martinez already, so we might not be considering doubling up, but they've um, certainly been very solid as well over this period. Um, And yeah, they've got nine clean sheets over 19 games now. Um, Actually, I think it's less than 19 games because they've had a few cancellations. So they've got some double game weeks coming up as well, which is a good time to invest in Aston Villa. And they've got Burnley, Southampton, West Ham, Arsenal, Brighton as their next five. So it could, could be another three, potentially even four clean sheets in there. You know, probably not, but you're going to get some clean sheets from the likes of Matt Target or something that only costs you 4.6 million. And he, he's 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 uh, rocked mm. up with an assist and some bonus tonight as well. It's, it feels like they could potentially be the, the new Southampton or something like that. In fact, they've been pretty defensively solid for a while, as we documented on the last pod. So that could be a nice kind of under-the-radar pick. Uh, let's move on to the next question. We did not in that defensive discussion, mention Robertson or Trent Alexander-Arnold. And that would probably be one of those things that would be unthinkable at the start of the season, unthinkable at many points of this season. Uh, but Liverpool rip-off is one of those things that has been coming up in the zeitgeist a little bit. Uh, FPL Osmo asks, what do we do with Liverpool assets? With Kevin De Bruyne injured and Man City defensive options less than £6 million. do we hold and hope things turn around as we've got lots of spare cash? I mean, look, I love to see what people are doing with her saying, I'm selling Salah this week. Where's it going? What are you doing? If you're also, if Kevin De Bruyne and Vardy are also out the equation, what are you doing with that money? Um, or he asked, do we just get rid? I think Liverpool were quite an interesting one. Just to have a look at, actually. So I did a comparison of the last six weeks and the last and the six weeks before that. So I did a comparison of game week 14 to 19 and game week 8 to 13. And as a team, what's happened is that their shots on target has hugely decreased. And obviously goals have as well. But a lot of measures have remained stable. So things like, you know, shots in the box, big chances. There's been a slight drop off next G, but they've had more shots in this last period when they haven't really scored very many, in fact, at all. It's just that the quality has diminished. Defensively, actually, they're better uh, than between 8 and 13. They've had far lower big chances uh, conceded, for example, and far lower XGs conceded too. That is this kind of stat anomaly has been mentioned by quite a few people on Twitter outside of the FPL sphere too. So Grace from Football and also James York from StatsBomb have said, Things to this effect. Um, Grace said, for example, that per the understat data, the choice, the chance of Liverpool scoring zero goals in the last four is a measly 0.16%, which is madness. I mean, they've had 72 shots in that time. Um, and I looked into this a little bit more. Uh, their XG in that in the last four has been 5.52, which is half of Man City, incidentally. But they have no goals. What's happened? The quality of shooting has diminished. So before before this, their XG was 9.9 and they scored 15 goals. Of course, that was fueled by Palace, in which they scored just below half of that number. And it's also crazy to see the quality of chances decline too. So between game weeks 12 and 15, uh, their XA uh, was 7.8. In the last four, it was just 5.62. There's also the extra game in the last four as well. So it's last four game weeks rather than last four games. This is where the eye test becomes really important. I saw, again, a few kind of uh, people said, I didn't watch the game, but their stats are amazing. I don't really understand what's going on. I mean, if you if you do watch the games, again, we're, we're not eye test wankers here. We know that, that we are always going to favour the stats. Data-driven insights is what we do. But if you just watch the games, you know they look flat. They're out of ideas. And the Athletic this week were reporting that it's the second coming of Klopp's funk that he experienced at Dortmund where again all we did was just work hard on plan A rather than scratch together plan B. And we see this a lot of the time with managers um, who've kind of won everything and 
struggle to motivate the team a little bit more. I remember uh, Ancelotti and Chelsea, for example, just went for that period of like 12 and 13 games where in press conferences, he'd just say, we've got to focus. That's all he had to say because he was just like, I've, I don't know what to do. Like my players just don't want to perform at the moment because they've won everything. I, I'm struggling for ideas. Nonetheless, I do expect them to start scoring again. Um, but there is a bit of a tough run coming. Nonetheless, for me, I'm not sure if they're top priority sales currently looping back to what I said before because there are other fires in loads of people's teams. I don't know what people are doing with Salah. I can see why I'd be selling the likes of Robertson, even though his underlying stats are pretty decent. I'm just not sure if they're top priority sales currently. Um, Anthony, what do you reckon? Um, Liverpool guys. So for my own team, personally, I only have Mo Salah. And I think just because I have bigger... Uh, fires to fight uh, you can read that as Kevin De Bruyne he's going to survive in my side for at least another week and I think he'll survive through that because we were talking about effective ownership earlier because his effective ownership is going to remain high and whilst Liverpool do have a number of tough fixtures starting off with the Spurs game there are good ones in there too and as you say Tom I do think they're going to start scoring um, again and like they're not going to continue this like unbelievable barren run for sure even if they are playing quite flat it's amazing it really is it's, it's, it's yeah. like Gamba's fallacy writ large when you just say like if someone said to me like two games ago they're not going to score another two games I'd just be like you're an idiot that's just not going to happen. Yeah, you'd, like, you'd have just been like, there's somebody up. is going to do something, you know, someone's going to have a howler, they'll get a penalty, you know, like just any of these kind of things that happen to good teams. Um, but no, nope, hasn't happened, but it will happen. Uh, as for their defenders, I was looking at Robertson, um, have continued to look at Robertson and have just never managed to get Robertson into my side um, because I can now get away with not putting him into my side for another few weeks and I can deal with the other fires that I have to fight. I will avoid buying him, basically, um, and I'll just leave them kind of settle down and get more players back fit and start playing a bit better overall, I guess. Uh, Nick, you do have Andy Robertson in your side, do you not? still got him i've yeah. got robertson and and salah and uh, obviously yeah like you guys i've got, got some other fires that need to be sorted in my team so both of those guys are going to be around for me for the next game week and um, they're playing spurs so i fully expect them to to finally turn up again as they always do against us um, and after that they've got west ham and brighton so you know i think they're pretty decent fixtures to be honest so they'll probably get the state of execution for for those games anyway regardless of the performance against spurs um after that you know, there's a couple of really tough games, three sort of in a row that are quite tricky. So, you know, if, if Salah still looks dreadful at this point, he's going to have to go, isn't he? Um, same with Robertson. No, Robertson, would, we're saying he's not been doing very well. He's actually the top scoring defender in the game. So maybe that's a, a fallacy as well. Um, mm. So, you know, it makes sense, though, I guess, to a certain extent, if you are one of those managers that wants to get City defensing desperately and you're looking at Robertson and saying, actually, he, he's my biggest cash cow to, to get in the likes of Diaz or Stones, then that kind of makes sense to a certain extent. But... You know, we're, we're selling Salah. We always say this, you know, it's such a high risk, isn't it? The ownership. I, I thought I could get away with not owning him for basically one game and got punished when he performed <laughs> and got 16 points in 33 minutes. So, you know, there is that risk always with him. Yeah, I'm, I just feel like I've got Robertson. I, he just basically stays by default because I've got KDB to sell and I've got Vardy to sell. So he's like the third piggy bank, a fourth piggy bank along the way. Like, of course, I wish that I'd sold him for a Diaz or a Stones ahead of last week. But I mean, just the outcome shouldn't probably overshadow the thought process, which I still think was sound. It's just one of those brutal 50-50s that does happen. But yeah, no, interesting question. It'll be really interesting to see where Liverpool go from here. But um, as, as we've said, I, I can't imagine it's a 
it's going to continue um, in this sort of barren fashion. Final question this week, I thought it was quite an interesting one to throw in. Obviously, it segues us nice into transfers and captains, uh, but it is Captain Unobvious. Uh, so Gad Effendi um, asks if we should be considering non-premium captains now with our captaincy. Um, so City defenders, um, I've seen a few people kind of saying, oh, you know, I'm captaining Cancelo against West Brom, and I can see why. Um, obviously, he got the assist against Cheltenham, so maybe that's his uh, imminent assist spaffed, and he's not going to get on for a while. Um, but, you know, without De Bruyne, maybe, you know, his creativity is going to be needed. Or Antonio, uh, for example. So hat tip to Taylor Cross, um, who added me this week with triple caps and Antonio, I created a little photo of uh, Randy Marsh from South Park with his balls in a wheelbarrow and photoshopped his face onto it. Um, and I was just like, wow, okay, good luck, mate. And uh, absolutely came through with him. So really awesome stuff. Is it the time for us to kind of sit back and kind of think, oh, actually, the premium players aren't really doing the job for us right now. So maybe we look elsewhere. Maybe we look at the likes of Antonio or look at the assist defenders and think, oh, maybe it's high time uh, that we gave these guys a go. Of course, Bruno Fernandes, Sheffield United, I expect we're all going to say he's our captain. Uh, but is it time to go off the beaten path, lads? I don't think it is time to go off the beaten path. Uh, you talked about uh, Taylor Cross going off the beaten path. We had another listener, Josh Dolphin, who triple captained John Stones as well, who had a particularly good game week thanks to that. But um, I, I don't think that this is the time I don't think there's ever really a time to go totally mad on captaincy. Like, okay, yes, is there, you know, individual discrete opportunities to captain outside of the meta? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And I think we've we've seen, we've talked about it before, and we'll probably see it again, that defenders do, um, when they have a good chance of getting two clean sheets and might get a return going forward, they do offer particularly interesting value in double game weeks. But that said, uh, going back to our effective ownership discussion, I think you'd be extremely brave to not captain the likes of Bruno Fernandes this week and it's Bruno Fernandes this week but it's going to be someone else the week after that that if it goes wrong for you and the thing is that there's a reason why they're the premium players that are highly owned to score all the time if it goes wrong for you and it may well do percentage wise um, I don't really want to be on the other end of that I've been kind of building a half decent rank by being consistent and not going totally wild with my captaincy and I'm not going to change that now. Exactly, I'd agree with that. I think we've talked about the unwritten rules in the past that the obvious captain pick is obvious and I'm going to be sticking with that for now. And Captain Bruno, I think when I've experimented in the past with less obvious picks, for instance, this season, I um, picked uh, Ings against West Brom. Um, more famously, um, a lot of it managers picked Callum Wilson against Norwich last season, um, like myself. And uh, it, it's just fallen flat on its arse. So, um, yeah, for me, it, it's going to be the safe, boring captain pick. Um you know, avoid the the damage of the effective ownership as well, um, which we talked about earlier. So, yeah, um, going with the captain obvious as opposed to the captain unobvious. Like, I think there's there's a bit of an obsession with trying to be the guy that has the the likes of the Antonio or the uh, John Stones. Matthias Pereira this week. Matthias Pereira, yeah, yeah, and like post that on Twitter and have that moment. Try to be the guy instead who can post a screenshot of like ten green arrows in a row. Because I guarantee you that that's going to look an awful lot better for your rank long term as well. Yeah, I, I think um, you've all uh, basically been looking at my notes because all I wrote was linked back to EO, uh, which is, yeah, I mean, great. If, if you want to captain someone like Matthias Pereira and it comes off you, fan bloody tastic. The fact is that a lot of the time, if people do captain outside of the world trodden path, um, 
they dis- they disappear from Twitter and they're not heard of again for a few weeks and then they come back because something else has happened. Other than that, you know, they just screwed up. Uh, a lot of the time, obviously, there's the, there's the appetite for kind of risk rewards. Obvious captains where I can is probably how I go as well. And to be honest, I've been so crap at captain this season that I, I'm beginning to think I was, the decision just goes out of my hand entirely and I just give it to the algos, you know. Um, but really, it is about picking your moments. Uh, if you're going to go for a differential captain, harking back to that EO discussion. This week, it is going to be one of those things where if you don't go Bruno Fernandes, and I can see why you wouldn't, um, you are going to be absolutely smashed if, he's, if he hauls and your captain does not equal or better that haul. Uh, that's just the reality of the situation. Some people do like to live dangerously. It's just one of those things where, do I want to live dangerously this week? Do I have an alternative that I trust? Is Cancelo, for example, going to equal the threat value of Bruno Fernandes? Mm, probably not. Will he play? If I own Rashford, then maybe I'd be more interested in that. But as it is, probably not. But if you have one of those weeks where it's a split pin, so let's say there's you know, four or five captains in the mix, Maybe that's a good week to kind of say, oh, well, you know what, I'm going to go for option three or option four and see how that goes. That's one of those times when you can uh, kind of you know, look at the non-premium options a little bit and kind of think, oh, I'm going to go for that sort of captain because you're not going to be too punished. Again, linking back to EO. So I guess you know all of our captains. It sounds like a blanket for Bruno Fernandes, and I think it's going to be a blanket for Bruno Fernandes for everybody, folks. Spoilers. But let's talk about our transfers instead. Anthony, any idea what you're doing yet? I'm going to be selling Kevin De Bruyne and I think I will probably just end up running with the meta and getting in Hundawan just purely because I kind of want to have that budget freed up to make another move afterwards. I'm not going to take another hit. I'd barely taken any hits all season and I've taken two consecutive hits, sorting myself out for the blank and double. So I think settle things down, you know, good consistent captaincy pick and uh, see where I'm at after that. And as well, we're kind of we're waiting to get a little bit more news on doubles and blanks going forward. And I can kind of get an idea of a strategy with all of my chips intact, including the wildcard. Yeah, so I'm, I'm making similar moves as in I'm selling De Bruyne. But I'm, I'm thinking potentially about Sterling. It doesn't free up lots of cash to do other moves, but rather than have sort of seven million sitting in there in the, in the banks, that's, that's the way I'm viewing it at least. I'm probably going to be a hit, unfortunately. Again, because I've got to get rid of Kurt Zuma because he's been dropped by Frank. So um, it's probably going to be Stone's in as well. Just triple up on Manchester City, load them up for the next three games and hope for the best. Yeah, I'll be jumping on the Gunder wagon as well. Um, so I think I'm going to do uh, Kevin De Bruyne to the Gunder wagon, and I'm going to do as well a uh, Kilman uh, to Stones, and that leaves me with loads of money in the bank. That leaves me with money to do Suchek to Madison, you know, Vardy to Kane. I've also got some money left over, and so that's a minus four. I'm just wondering whether a minus eight for Jamal Lewis to Diaz is worth it because there's loads of double game which come up for Man City. It may well give me an instant payoff this week. But fundamentally, it just kind of solves a problem I'm going to have to solve eventually. Because as we said with the effective ownership debate, eventually having one Man City player is going to be the same as having one Chelsea player earlier on in the season. You know, one clean sheet is going to be okay, but you're going to game through two. So maybe it might be the case of grabbing Diaz or maybe even you know, the tainted love of Cancelo and going that way. I just don't know yet. Probably going to jump on the Gunder wagon and also get stones in and then probably leave it until the last minute to decide whether I want Cancelo or Diaz if I'm probably going to do Diaz because he's probably um, one of those players that you just expect to play every game I'd say if I was to take a hit just to give everyone that speculative uh, idea that I might have if I was to run through with it later on I would finally free myself of the shackles of Rianne Brewster 
and I would bring in the man with the second highest XG from open play over the last six weeks, which is Edinson Cavani mm-hmm. playing against uh, Sheffield United, who I think would be an interesting pick to have there on top of Bruno Fernandes uh, to make the most of that EO, you know. Yeah, that's an interesting choice as well. Yeah, one of those things I'm thinking about as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I think about Rashford actually, but, but, but thanks for telling me. That's a good tip. Uh, maybe WCA <laughs> could uh, help someone's outcomes after all. A good tip on that podcast with tips on us. On that, on that, that <laughs> podcast that we all that we all show up to do. Um, what feels like every month, uh, given how long last game week was. <sighs> I think that's a lot for tonight. It's been good to do a proper long podcast, hasn't it, Nick? Yeah, it's been uh, been a while since we've done a, a proper extended podcast. I think the next few are going to be a little bit shorter again, just because of the <laughs> yeah. timeframes of the the game weeks, and because they're just one after another, isn't it, at the moment? But yeah, we were. You got the assist. Thanks so much for listening, and don't forget to hit the subscribe button if you haven't already. Yeah, as the lad said, midweek round of games coming up, so we will be back on Thursday when these fixtures have concluded. If you have any correspondence, send it to who got the assist at gmail.com and we will get to it. Well, we hope it's assisted you. Uh, well done, you did very well in double game week. Commiserations, we're here for you if you didn't. We'll speak to you next week. See you next week. I that was going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I had it ready. I had it written there and everything. Poorly. Cool. All right, thanks, everyone. Cheers, lads. Uh, see you on Thursday. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Podcast Network.